Earlier this year, writer Hampton Sides published a gripping and detailed account of the months leading up to Martin Luther King's assassination in 1968. Sides' book reconstructs the movements and activities of King's confessed assassin, James Earl Ray, intercut with the story of King, the man Ray was stalking. Hampton Sides is an editor-at-large for Outside Magazine and author of the historical books Ghost Soldiers and Blood and Thunder. I spoke to him in April about his book Hellhound on His Trail, the stalking of Martin Luther King Jr. and the international hunt for his assassin. I asked him about King's activities and his frame of mind in the final weeks of his life. This is a very different Martin Luther King than I think most of us are familiar with. Uh, he had been getting death threats for, for really his whole career, but in the, those last few weeks and months, he was getting um, more of them, and uh, they were, it, the whole thing was intensifying. He had developed enemies and, and lost a lot of his allies in Washington because of his criticism of the Vietnam War. And it felt like he was in danger of being outflanked by the black power movement. Um, he was not sleeping very well. He was smoking. He was eating uh, too much and gaining weight. His marriage uh, with Coretta was, uh, was unraveling. It was a very dark and very intense and desperate time for him. And uh, he had just hatched this very controversial poor people's campaign, which was essentially uh, the idea was to build a an enormous shantytown on the mall in Washington, bring the poor people of, of all over the country, not just African Americans, but uh, American Indians and uh, people from Appalachia, from all walks of life, um, to, to Washington to stage this sort of protest at the feet of, of uh, Capitol Hill um, to protest uh, the conditions in the ghettos and uh, systemic multi-generational poverty. It was a very, very controversial um, and heavily criticized phase of the uh, of the movement, King had essentially decided to f- shift his focus from civil rights to um, to, to economic justice, and uh, so this was kind of where he was at when um, he got the phone call to come to Memphis to represent the garbage workers who had gone on strike. Explain just a little bit about this sanitation workers strike and and why it brought Martin Luther King to Memphis and what sort of challenges that posed for him and his movement. Mm-hmm. His um, his advisors thought that coming to Memphis was a real mistake. That was a quite a quite a, a kind of left turn for him to be making. That he should be focused on this thing in Washington exclusively. But you know he couldn't ignore what was happening in Memphis. Um, these guys were striking for better wages and for um, better better conditions after a horrible accident in which two garbage workers had been ground up in a uh, in a faulty um, uh, hydraulic truck mechanism. And when he came to Memphis, he um, decided he would lead a march down Beale Street, the historic avenue of the, of the blues. And uh, this was going to be it. He, w- he would leave Memphis. He would go back to Washington and, and start recruiting for this, for, for this bigger cause that he was pushing for. But the march really went very wrong, didn't it? The march got taken over by, um, by black militants and, and high school students who were just out for a good time. And it turned violent, and there was looting and smashing of windows, and the, the cops descended on everyone. And it, it was really a nightmare for Martin Luther King because his whole career, of course, was staked on nonviolence. And here he was appearing to be leading a violent march. So this set up kind of the third act, which was he realized he had to come back to Memphis yet again to, to lead another march that would be peaceful. And it was that third appearance in Memphis uh, that got him killed. 
Now, now, according to the the evidence that the FBI later developed, we know that James Earl Ray had a map with uh, places in Atlanta where uh, Martin Luther King might have been found. So it's clear he had an interest in his movements. Where did he go to finally get the perch from which he would fire the the fatal shot? Uh, Ray Ray ended up checking into a flop house on South Main, which was directly across from the Lorraine Motel. He was shown a room that faced towards Main Street, which would be the other side of the building, and he immediately said, no, thank you, I don't want that. And then he was shown a room on the back side that faced the Lorraine, and he immediately took that and paid uh, a week's rent, uh, which makes me think, makes most of us think that um, he was thinking he'd be there a while, that he probably wasn't going to be doing an assassination from that room, that he was simply going to use that room as a perch to follow King's movements, thinking the lawyer is going to be working this out for weeks, for at least a, a days, up to a week until they would actually get to do this this march. Um, so I don't think he thought the, the assassination would, would take place there. As it happened, his opportunity came that very day. Um, now, did he actually have a shot at King from the room that he rented? He did, but he would have had to have leaned out over the window and exposed himself. The angle is less than ideal. The only way he could really get a direct shot was to go down to the communal bathroom, which was this filthy room you know, down the hall that had a direct shot if he, if he stood in the bathtub. Um, after the assassination, the police found that the window in the bathroom had been um, jerked up about five inches. The screen um, had been um, jimmied from its groove. And there was a, a palm print on the wall, and uh, various people in the in the flop house had heard a shot coming from that bathroom. So it became pretty clear that's where the shot came from. So it appears that that James Earl Ray take, took the rifle, which he had purchased recently, um, from his room down to the bathroom where he could get um, a clear look at King, who, as, as it turned out, was lingering on his balcony. Um, you also note that that he realized that he needed some binoculars to to really follow his movements. He went out and bought those. When it came time to get a shot, it's it's interesting. He loaded only a single round into the weapon. Right. Um, how hard or easy a shot was this for a guy who obviously was not a trained marksman? Um, it, you know, I've stood on the balcony and, I, and I've stood in in the flop house, which is now part of the uh, National Civil Rights Museum. It's an easy shot. It's about two hundred feet. With a seven-power scope, which is what he had, it would be um, appear to be about 30 feet. King's face would have almost completely filled the, the optical plane of, of the scope. He was not a trained or you know professional marksman, but he had been in the army and had fired that very caliber of weapon. And uh, I don't think you know in the end, you know, the shot itself was actually fairly easy. King was lingering on the balcony with some friends because they were about to go out to dinner, and you, you write that he was in a in a jovial and relaxed mood um, when he was hit by this shot, which caught him on the jaw and did terrible damage. Um, the police were actually watching from a perch very nearby. Why? The Memphis police had been following King and his entourage everywhere, um, and also a, a local black power group called the Invaders who um, were in negotiations with King. Um, so they ha- had two black um, policemen in this firehouse that happened to face the Lorraine uh, looking at events uh, through a peephole. Um, so, you know, there were people watching this from various vantage points. And, uh, you know, when the when this shot rang out, these, these policemen all ran outside 
um, from the from the uh, firehouse and ran towards Lorraine, trying to figure out you know which direction did the shot come from. And the firehouse was literally next door to the to the boarding house that that Ray was was perched in. It's across the street. Okay. Um, it's and again is about like um, two hundred maybe two hundred fifty feet away. It does seem remarkable that um, with the police in a firehouse very nearby that James Earl Ray was able to fire this shot, which was heard by lots of people, and then slip away. How close did he come to getting caught then? Within 30 seconds. Um, he ran down the stairs. He took a left turn. He was running towards his car, which was the white Mustang that was parked on the street, when he saw some policemen uh, who were gathered around that fire station. And he had to do a very impulsive thing. On one level, you could say this was a really stupid stupid act. He he. he ditched the weapon. Um, everything needed to solve that case was in that bundle with the, with the weapon and various other belongings that he had there. But if he hadn't done that, he would have been called immediately uh, with the weapon in his arms. So, you know, he really, he had to do that. He jumped in the car and took off. And there were several witnesses there who saw the white Mustang as it took off uh, heading north on Main Street. Um, so, you know, he came probably within 30 seconds of getting caught. But for two months, he managed to evade the FBI, which, which despite Hoover's antipathy for King, was, was, was actively investigating this, throwing all of the resources they could into it. He finds his way to Canada because border crossings were easy there. And then he figured out how to get a passport and airline ticket out of the country. Um, James Earl Ray, after being captured in London, was extradited to the United States. He confessed and was sentenced to life in prison. And what I'm struck by at the end of the book is in some ways what a small guy he seemed. I mean, I'm reminded of the Hannah Arendt observation of the banality of evil. Um, And I'm just wondering, do you feel like you understand him? Is he like Travis Bickle and Taxi Driver, some tortured soul, or like Timothy McVeigh, a, a man who's a young man who's ideologically driven. Do you feel like you get him? I get parts of him. You know, I think that there wasn't a single motivation so much as, you know, kind of an amalgam of sub-motivations that he kind of threw into a blender and stuck it on puree. You know, like, uh, yes, he was a person who um, thought of himself as a a businessman and as a hustler. And uh, yes, he was a racist. Yes, he had a history of mental illness accentuated by years of amphetamine use. Throw all those sort of sub-motivations in, in I, into this blender, and I think you begin to get some sense of how he could have done this and why he could have done this. But in the end, you're right. It's, it's really about um, the banality of evil. It's about how a very hollow person can bring down a great man. And unfortunately, uh, we, we've got a long and sordid history of people like that in this country. Well, Hampton Sides, thanks so much for speaking with us. Thanks for having me on the show. Hampton Sides is the author of Hellhound on His Trail, The Stalking of Martin Luther King Jr. and The International Hunt for His Assassin. Fresh Air's executive producer is Danny Miller. We'll close today with more of Martin Luther King Jr.'s I Have a Dream speech, and then we'll hear Aretha Franklin perform a version of the song she sang at the inauguration of President Barack Obama. For Terry Gross, I'm Dave Davies. We will be able to hew out of the mountain of despair a stone of hope. With this faith, we will be able to transform the jangling discords of our nation into a beautiful symphony of brotherhood. With this faith, 
we will be able to work together, to pray together, to struggle together, to go to jail together, to stand up for freedom together, knowing that we will be free one day. This will be the day, this will be the day with all of God's children. Be able to sing with new meaning, my country tears of thee. Sweet land of liberty of thee I sing. Land where my fathers died, land of the pilgrim's pride. From every mountainside, let freedom ring. And if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. So let freedom ring. Ah.